Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99 percent of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's stephan tubbs welcome to this week's edition of the american veteran show this is our annual pearl harbor episode Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, programs like this one would not be possible without our terrific presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their team is terrific. You can find out more, bosonlaw.com. That's B O E S E N Law, bosonlaw.com. We will have a solid three segments looking back as we approach just a couple of days from now the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. I don't remember very much, if anything, about December 6th, but I must say, of all the days of my entire life, the only one I remember almost every in every minute of the day was December 7th. I began to hear uh, a lot of aircraft roaring overhead, so I looked out the side window of the house. I remember the bullets hitting the ground right in front of my eyes and not knowing what that meant. I turned around and I looked out. About that time is when I seen there were four planes coming at a drake shooting right straight at us. You couldn't see the torpedoes drop, but when he turned up and went away like this, you could actually see him and you could see the torpedoes coming straight at us, and that would be, I would say there was less than 300 feet from us when you first spotted them. I was sound asleep in my pajamas. Uh, I had the lower bunk or two-bunk room 
and my roommate was above me, and the gong went off and absolutely just blew you out of your bed. Just bang, bang, bang. And then when the gong star stopped, then was the bugle, general quarters. <laughs> I can hear that bugle now. And then when the bugle stopped, here came on the loudspeaker, man your battle stations, we're being bombed, this is no drill. And wow, that gets that that for Reveille gets you up pretty that gets your attention. And all of a sudden we heard the um, planes just going back and forth and shooting at each other. And my father said, um, run. So we ran under a big tree. And I remember hanging onto the bark of the tree and looking up and seeing um, planes shooting at each other. We could hear the machine gun bullets hitting the turret. We felt the thud of the torpedo. And we took the sight cap off our periscope, looked through it, and bam, there went the Arizona. And uh, I, <clears throat> I estimated about 32 bodies went flying through the air. Well, about that time, someone shouted, dive bombers, dive bombers. And I ran over to the port side where the call had come from and looked up, and, and here were the line, it was a line of dive bombers. And then number three came down, and when he let his bomb go, <clears throat> it didn't drift anywhere. It just got bigger. And I knew just from the sight of it that this was a direct hit. And the thing that flashed through my mind is that you're a dead man. You're going to get killed. And my first thought then was, Mother, I'm sorry. I'm not going to make it. I remember going down to the, leaving the hospital to the triage area where I was in the morgue, walking down probably um, 200 yards to the channel, and seeing the desolation and, and, and the carnage there. There's still bodies in the water floating uh, here and there, and uh, the smoke and the oil and the grease. It was uh, very depressing. And we uh, people cried unashamedly. And then, uh, okay, that's enough for that. Let's get back to work attitude. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Thank you for being with us on this Sunday edition, our annual Pearl Harbor program, 80-year anniversary, coming up just two days from now. Just amazing. What you're going to hear in these first three segments were actually put together by the National Park Service. And I was telling our producer, Matt Steinkruger, off the air, it's amazing as I was watching these videos. I'm like, I know that guy. Wait a minute, I know that guy. I've been with, the, uh, with these two people to Pearl Harbor. And it's just great that... and. More than that, it's so vitally important that many of these interviews were conducted because many of the voices you'll hear, those voices are now silent. They have passed away. We will have uh, much more coming up on Pearl Harbor, and we continue now on this Pearl Harbor anniversary program. Well, my name is Jack Ray Hammond. Uh, I've been a seaman, and I felt that I would like to live like the pharmacist mates live, which they lived pretty well aboard ship. 
And then I was supposed to go to hospital course school in San Diego to become a hospital apprentice. But instead, they changed my rate from SEMA first class to hospital apprentice first class and transferred me by motor launch over to the Navy Hospital Pearl Harbor, which I didn't like because I was been recently married. My wife was in, in California, in San Pedro, and I wanted to go back. And she came out in April the 1st, 1941, on the Lurling. And then our life was really good because we'd never really had a honeymoon because we were just kids. And we enjoyed it very much uh, until the rude awakening, of course, on December the 7th. I rushed out and took a look down to the Pearl Harbor. We could see all what was happening. By the time I got into the Pearl Harbor and got to the hospital, the second wave was coming in. And we got very, very busy. Uh, then a lot of casualties coming in fast. We, got, we always got the, the aftermath. We got what was left of the human carnage, and, uh, and it was a very depressing type of thing. When I was down in the basement alone with all those bodies alone, and it was dark, and uh, uh, all that firing going on, and uh, I'll remember the day I die, uh, this firing stopped, and I find myself down there all alone. I don't know how many bodies, there were probably 100 bodies all stacked around. And uh, I panicked, trying to get up to go back, try to get upstairs again. And I stumbled and fell over all those bodies and finally got upstairs and uh, was hyperventilating like crazy and uh, uh, a mess, obviously. And uh, one of the guys tried to stable me down and uh, I had a piece of intestine stuck through my shoelaces. And... uh, That'll, and and that, and uh, the smell. Uh, those those two things, uh, I'll never forget. Probably about six months after that, I would have nightmares. You know. And now that I look back on it, I guess it was kind of humorous when you stop to think about it, but it wasn't humorous at that time. We're sure glad you're with us on the American Veteran Show for our annual Pearl Harbor program. We'll have much more, of course, coming up. So glad you're with us. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com, and especially this week, remember Pearl Harbor. on this Sunday. I hope you're having a wonderful, beautiful afternoon. And of course, we are slowly but surely wrapping up this, our fifth season of the American Veteran Show. And if you've been with us around this time of year, obviously, it is our duty. It is also our pleasure, but it is our duty to remember Pearl Harbor. So this is our annual Pearl Harbor program. What you're about to hear, this has been put together by the National Park Service and of course, listen in because of a Colorado connection as we remember Pearl Harbor. Welcome to Pearl Harbor National Memorial. I would like to thank you for joining us for the 80th commemoration of the attack of Pearl Harbor in the island of Oahu. 
My name is Ranger Stan. I'm here at Ford Island. In front of me is Foxtrot 7 and the USS Arizona Memorial. Today I'm going to share an incredible story of valor, respect, and sacrifice of an unsung hero, Joe George. Let's take a step back in time nearly 80 years ago and use your imagination. The harbor looked very different that morning. It was quiet, still. Nearly 200 ships will be moored here in the harbor behind me. On the morning of December 5th, 1941, the USS Arizona would return from sea. She would be moored at the two mooring quays located directly behind me. The USS Vestal would be moored next to her to perform some repairs as the USS Arizona was scheduled to return to Bremerton, Washington to be retrofitted with radar and anti-aircraft guns. Joe George, Petty Officer First Class, 26 years old, a sailor, also a heavyweight amateur boxer, a very stout, strong man. On Friday, December 5th, 1941, Joe George had an amateur boxing match. That evening, he would be victorious. He would knock out his opponent. He would head downtown to Waikiki to celebrate along with his friends. At the bars, the young men got carried away, had a few too many drinks, and got into a bar fight. The MPs were called. They responded. Joe George would be returned to the USS Vestal. The captain ensured Joe George could not leave the ship for the weekend with a potential court-martial. Joe George, on the morning of December 7, 1941, was on the deck of the USS Vestal Moor directly behind me, performing some work. In the distance, at 7.55, the first bombs began to rain down on Ford Island, 10,000 feet high above. Japanese high-altitude bombers would drop munitions on the USS Vestal and the USS Arizona. The first round would find its way to the deck of the USS Vestal. The second round would find its way to the fourth turret of the USS Arizona. The third round would find its way to the center of the USS Vestal. This resulted in a massive explosion that would catapult and launch captain along with crew out into the open waters of Pearl Harbor. The fourth round, the most deadly, would find its way to the forward deck of the USS Arizona. A 1,076-pound bomb would pierce four decks, penetrate and ignite nearly one million pounds of high explosives and aviation fuel. This resulted in a catastrophic explosion. The ship would be lifted out of the water. The bow would crack off the ship. Fireball would be sent up into the air nearly 1,000 feet. Instantly, 900 sailors and Marines would be vaporized. USS Vestal's executive officer, 
issue a direct order to you, to Joe George, to chop the lines free from the USS Vestal, which would free the ship and save the ship. Joe George, drop the axe. You disobey the order. In the distance, you picked up a heaving line, a weighted small diameter rope, and proceeded towards the main tower of the USS Vestal. There, in the distance, 70 feet across, he witnessed flames, fire, intense heat, and also black smoke as a result of the fires burning. He also noticed six sailors trapped on the foremast, shouting for help, for assistance. Joe George held the rope, and in one shot, threw the rope 70 feet across the flames. The sailors on the foremast were able to grab hold of the rope, hold the rope, and affix a larger diameter rope, approximately one inch in diameter, and tie it off on their railing. From there, the six sailors proceeded to crawl hand over hand across the fiery abyss. Below them, flames, heat, black smoke, reports of the paint blistering aboard the USS Vestal. The sailors would slowly work hand over hand across that rope and land safely at the USS Vestal. Six sailors that day would be saved by Joe George. Six would be placed on either hospital ships or taken to a local hospital. Two survivors, and Don Stratton would be burned over 70% of his body and spend nearly one year in the hospital. Lauren Bruning would be burned over 80% of his body. Many years passed. Uh, Don Stratton dug deeper. He spent 15 years researching and identifying. Finally, he was able to identify and locate Joe George's widower. Joe George had passed in 1996. Don Stratton believed Joe George was deserving of a medal, and he worked tirelessly to commend the sailor for his actions. He teamed up with other survivors, Lauren Brunin, as well as Ken Potts, and they planned a trip to Washington, D.C. 2017, where they met with military officials at the Pentagon. They also met with Senator from Colorado, as well as a Senator from Arizona. Their last stop of that visit would be 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where they met with President Donald Trump, and they explained their desire to recognize the efforts of Joe George. He was well-deserving of a medal. Some time passed. Don Stratton didn't lose sight. Again, he visited the senator in Colorado and urged that Joe George be recognized at the 76th commemoration. Here aboard the USS Arizona Memorial at the 76th commemoration of the attack of the island of Oahu and Pearl Harbor, Joe George would be recognized. 
he would receive the Bronze Star with V for Valor. I want to thank you for joining me today for my program, and thank you for joining us for the 80th commemoration of the attack of Pearl Harbor. Again, that was from the National Park Service as we have our annual Pearl Harbor program here on the American Veteran Show. And if you're just tuning in, one of the biggest honors that I have had in my life in highlighting our veterans, especially of the greatest generation, my honor, my great fortune to travel over the years back to Pearl Harbor with Pearl Harbor survivors, those who fought in the Pacific Theater. And what has been amazing in playing some of the audio so far, some of these gentlemen I was fortunate enough to travel with to the Hawaiian Islands, and may they now rest in peace. We'll continue our Pearl Harbor look on this Pearl Harbor episode coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. continue now the american veteran show this our annual pearl harbor episode as we remember pearl harbor isn't it amazing for for some of you that have maybe been able to remember pearl harbor and bless you if you are still with us the 80th anniversary just two days from now so these pieces of audio that we're playing for you this sunday put together by our friends at the national park service when arizona memorial opened you lined up on the pier in one line while waiting and going out there, especially on the way in when I got there, I had goosebumps about six inches high on my arms. Yeah, I don't care how many times I go there. When I step on that platform, it sort of breaks me up. Every time. It's, and I've gone out year after year, and, uh, I'm going out this year, the 7th of December, and it's just one of those things. I've gotten to a point where it's almost too much to go there. It's a place that is like no other. It's wonderful, and yet it's so sad. I just think of these guys that trapped down there, couldn't get out, and what they gave up. You know, how they really tried to do their best under the horrible circumstances to help their buddies and to try to save themselves. Just like the song says, remember Pearl Harbor. We'll remember. There's an emotional feeling because of the men that are there. And I'm proud of them. And I always try to read all the names when I go there. And whenever visitors come to Hawaii, that's the must. You must visit the Arizona. They must remember. So I've gone on the memorial there. And I looked out there, I see all the names that 1,100 cells have names. 
And I know down below on the on the ship, there's nine hundred, nine hundred of them. They get touched. They never had a chance. And that's uh, where they are. Life's terminated. It brings, excuse me, it brings that, it brings tears to my eyes. And, and, uh, and this is one thing I, uh, I try to impress uh, the people that visit out there. You're going out there, pay respect to these youngsters that they have had a chance. And I believe there, their spirit is there about that ship. I feel it. Once again, so vital to capture these stories and so many of the voices that you've heard so far this episode. Those voices are now silent. These men and women who have spoken about surviving the Pearl Harbor attack 80 years ago on Tuesday, they are no longer with us. May they rest in peace and may their memories of Pearl Harbor live on. December the 7th was a day that um, I and my family will never forget. I'm sure anyone who is living here in Hawaii will never forget. Enveloped by a total numbness, so everything seems you know, surreal, denial and disbelief. This can't be true. This can't be happening. Why did this happen? And why did it come to us? Why did it, why did it hurt the people in Hawaii? A little hard to even talk about it. It's even hard to put it on paper. can't remember how I felt except I was worried for my father that he wasn't home. You know, you want your father with you when you have trouble like that. Recovery after that, it was chaos. We knew we were at war and it was frightening. We had no idea how it was going to change our lives. And the thing that flashed in my mind is that you're a dead man, you're going to get killed. And my first thought then was, Mother, I'm sorry. I remember the bullets hitting the ground right in front of my eyes. That picture is, stays with me and will stay with me throughout my life. I always remember everything about December. I've never forgotten even an increment part of December 7th. Those early days of the war were filled with anxiety. I was afraid. Would I be here tomorrow morning? Would I be gone? And as we wrap up this segment and look at Pearl Harbor's 80th anniversary, and we look back on this Pearl Harbor episode, so many of the personal stories. Pearl Harbor, September 24th, 1941. Dearest mother, finally got here and it's really warm. Had a good cruise, but it's too slow. Hope everyone at home is all right. Really had a good time at home, mom. Everyone treated me swell. Why? I don't know. Especially you. You're wonderful to me, Mom. Take care of yourself, Mom. Say hello to all the little guys for me. Loads of love, Mother. Rudy. The young man that wrote this letter was Rudolph Machado Martinez, known to his friends and family as Rudy. 
He was a young Mexican-American from San Diego, California. His family was of humble means. He was raised by his mother, who made money by running a small Mexican restaurant. He was surrounded by sisters and family. He enlisted in the Navy in 1939 and was assigned the USS Utah, which was ported in San Diego and was soon to leave for Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. On the morning of December 7th, it was peaceful and quiet. Morning colors were getting ready to be raised. The bands were ready to play the Star Spangled Banner. Boats were coming alongside to take men to church services. It was a typical Sunday in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. But that was suddenly shattered when planes came racing across this water behind us at an altitude of about 30 feet. They were Japanese torpedo planes. They began to drop their torpedoes and two of them raced towards the USS Utah. Both of them hit. The ship was now in danger. Listing badly, men scrambled to try to save the ship and then abandoned ship was called. Rudy Martinez was apparently below decks with other men. And when the ship rolled over, it took 58 men with them and one of them was Rudy. Mrs. Amelia Perez, the Navy Department deeply regrets to inform you that your son, Rudolph Machado Martinez, electrician's mate, third class U.S. Navy, was lost in action in the performance of his duty and in the service of his country. We're at that site where the memorial is placed and the sunken remains of the ship is still here. And Rudy is still here. He left behind his sisters, one brother, and his mother. It was decided by the family that some mementos of Rudy's would be given to us. Among them was his Purple Heart, a telegram that announced his death, a pillowcase that was going to go to his sister. These personal family mementos started to build a story of who Rudy was and that short life, what he gave to his family in the way of love and remembrance. Those items are now part of our permanent collection. The vision of this memorial was that of Senator Frank Moss from Utah. On December 7, 1971, Senator Moss came here for the groundbreaking. He spoke these words. While we honor those who gave their last full measure of devotion, all of us hope and pray that the time will come when we no longer need to dedicate memorials to men who died in battle, that we will dedicate memorials to those who live in peace, to all nations and all men. Here at this memorial, Rudy is remembered along with other crewmen that lost their lives on December 7, 1941. Again, all the audio that you've been hearing coming from the National Park Service as we are just a couple of days away from the 80th anniversary of the bombing and the attack on Pearl Harbor. We'll wrap up the program coming up next. This is our Pearl Harbor edition of the program, the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. As always, we sure appreciate your time and tuning in on this Sunday afternoon here on the American Veteran Show as we are less than, gosh, seven weeks away from wrapping up and starting Season 6 of the program. Hope you've enjoyed our Pearl Harbor 
commemoration as the 80th anniversary, December 7th, 1941, coming up this Tuesday. And a shout-out to a couple of my World War II veterans, chief among them, Glenn Stenson, who is with a group in Pearl Harbor today as they get ready to commemorate Tuesday's activities there at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Also coming up, we'll just preview next week's big game, Army-Navy. But first, as we wrap up, the audio courtesy of the National Park Service, we remember Pearl Harbor. Aloha. On behalf of the National Park Service, my name is Kremina, and I would like to take this opportunity to welcome you to Pearl Harbor National Memorial. To commemorate the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, my team and I were tasked with choosing an individual whose story has impacted us. Today, we are standing on Ford Island in front of the USS Oklahoma Memorial. Behind me are 429 marble posts, each with the name of a specific crew member of the USS Oklahoma that was lost during the attack on Pearl Harbor, the morning of December 7, 1941. My story today will be focused on the three brothers, Malcolm, Leroy, and Randolph Barber, the Barber Brothers of the USS Oklahoma. In 1940, all three brothers, Malcolm, Leroy, and Randolph, would enlist into the United States Navy. After the completion of basic training, Randolph and Malcolm were assigned to the USS Colorado, and Leroy would be assigned to the USS Oklahoma. While aboard the USS Oklahoma, Leroy would write to his brothers about how great duty was aboard his ship. And Randolph requested to be reassigned to the USS Oklahoma. And due to the United States being in peacetime, their request was granted. And as of August 27, 1941, three men would be considered USS Oklahoma crew members. In an interview done with Gertrude Barber, their mother, she recalls how excited all three of her boys were to be stationed upon the same ship. She remembers stating how grand they thought it would be to be stationed together. On the morning of December 21st at 2 a.m., they would receive a phone call stating that their sons at this time would be considered missing in action. Weeks go by, and on February 13, 1942, they would receive the telegram that many families feared of receiving. The telegram read, after exhaustive search, we must now deem your sons missing in action and stop the search. As war continued above them, the three brothers who were memorialized along with the others at the Tablets of the Missing in Punchbowl Cemetery, Honolulu, the United States Navy commissioned a destroyer escort named the USS Barber in honor of these men. Their parents, Gertrude and Peter Barber, were there to christen and commission the ship. Their younger brother, Clayton Barber, would become one of the first crew members of the first crew of the USS Barber. 
Today, there are still many families awaiting the closure that many families should receive after losing a loved one. As of June 10, 2021, an organization known as the DPAA has recovered, identified, and sent home the remains of the positively identified Malcolm John, Leroy Kenneth, and Randolph Harold Barber to their home in New London, Wisconsin, where they received the proper burial at the Most Precious Blood Cemetery. It is because of the brave servicemen, their families, and organizations such as the DPAA that we are able to tell their story and continue to remember and honor the sacrifices they made. On behalf of the National Park Service, we thank you for continuing to learn about this tragic moment in American history and thank you for continuing to learn more about them. Mahalo. Again, audio courtesy of the National Park Service. And one week from yesterday, so this coming Saturday, the 122nd installment of the Army-Navy football game. You have a most important responsibility to recognize that your education is just beginning, to play the role that the country hopes and needs and expects from you. But the life of service is a constant test of your will to place the needs of your country above all else. When you watch your contemporaries indulging the urge for material gain, comfort, and personal advancement, your choice will seem hard. Never forget, however, that the battle for freedom takes many forms. Those who, through vigilance and firmness and devotion, are the great servants of this country. But you must be more than the servants of national policy. You must understand not only this country, but other countries. You must be a scientist and an engineer and a physicist. You must know something about strategy and tactics and logistics, but also economics and politics and diplomacy and history. Your posture and your performance will provide many people the only evidence they will ever see as to whether America is truly dedicated to the cause of justice and freedom. You know, a lot of people say that I sacrificed a lot to come to West Point and that I didn't get to live out the normal college experience. There's a lot of sacrifices you make. Get up there. To be here, it requires great discipline. You know, we have to put our priorities in order. It's going to be a lot of late nights and a lot of studying, a lot of summer breaks that you're going to miss. Uh, mentally, physically, morally, my everyday life as a civilian, uh, it changed. You know, we're going to be defending the Constitution and our democracy and our way of life, and we're going to be doing it together with the guys across from us on the field. The Navy game is unique just because of what each of these schools represent and what we came here to do. It's bigger than just college football. You know, to go out there and, and go against guys that have signed up to do the exact same thing that you've done. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about playing. first thing you learn when you show up is to beat these guys. That's what you sign up to do. Sign up to beat Army. Everything we do is beat Navy. It's written on every brick, every stone. Off the field, they're our brothers, but on the field, we want to compete. We're all going to be on the same team one day, which makes this rivalry different than most. In the years to come... Some of you will go to the far reaches of space, and some will go to the bottom of the ocean. What you have chosen to do for your country, by devoting your life to the service of our country, is the greatest contribution that you could make. 
I don't think I've had any regrets. Um, no regrets at all. I have no regrets in the choices I made. No, not one. In serving the American people, you represent the American people and the best of the ideals of this free society. This nation salutes you, and I thank you. Terrific open to one of the previous Army-Navy football games produced by CBS Sports. And because we won't talk to you until after the game next week, go Army! Go Navy! (laughs) We don't want to pick sides. That's all for this week's program. For producer Matt Steinkruger, I'm Stephen Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. And this week especially, remember Pearl Harbor and remember our troops. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veterans Show. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.